Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. I'm with Jan Knotson, and we're talking today about his book, The Id Paradox. It's a story of three friends, Jake, Artie, and Connors, whose bond was forged during an almost fatal canoe trip in which only Artie's genius for survival kept them alive. It follows their ill-fated attempt to pass Artie's family across the border, his capture by a drug cartel, and Jake and Connors harrowing escape from a Mexican prison and then from the prison of madness. Jan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Man, I'm a little nervous already having read that little introduction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we get to the Id Paradox and talk about that, let's talk about you for a second. You were born uh, along the various uh, U.S.-Mexican border that you write about in the Id Paradox. I, I absolutely was, yeah. Where exactly? Laredo, Texas, the thriving metropolis. Yeah, and we were talking before the show about the differences between crossing the border today and probably when you were growing up there. Mm, What's yeah. changed? Oh, boy. Uh, well, the Zetas drug cartel are in charge of the sister city there, and they rule with an iron fist. They're really brutal. Mm. Yeah. Did this upbringing um, influence the Id Paradox in oh, some way? Absolutely. Yeah, how so? You know, uh, being on the river there, you know, uh, I grew up actually maybe a, a half mile from the Rio Grande River. Mm-hmm. At that time, we could go across the river anytime and, yeah. you know, eat, drink, you know, right. just have a good time. So, yeah, and, you know, I mixed in elements from today of the immigration yeah. question yeah. And, and that kind of thing. Yeah, the Rio Grande's not really that wide in some places, right? Oh, no. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's not as grand as the sound. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Before they put up those dams, oh, it yeah, was, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Uh, quite a river. But So uh, you've had quite a background in the arts. You've worked as an actor. Uh, I was looking at your bio, appearing on Another World, Search for Tomorrow, Matlock, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and more recently in Beverly Lewis's The Confession on the Hallmark Channel. What kind of roles did you play? Uh, well, in Beverly Lewis, The Confession, I was a doctor. Uh, uh, 
oncologist okay. who gave some bad news to the protagonist. Okay, what about the young Indiana Jones Chronicles? <laughs> uh, in that, I was a very impatient computer teacher, and uh, uh, old Indy was you know, always demanding my attention, and I was oh, okay. real... And on another world, in search for tomorrow, you were like somebody's lover who got jilted or something. <laughs> I was actually uh, uh, the bad bad guy in Mallorca, okay. in Spain. Yeah. Uh, I was the bad mm-hmm. factotum. Now, how did how did this experience as an actor influence your writing? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, it certainly helped me with dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, my novels are full of dialogue. So, uh, but it gave me a sense of drama, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is uh, and high stakes, which my books are full of. I think mm-hmm. you, we were talking beforehand. I was asking about other things you'd starred in and, and acted in, and you talked about a, a play locally where you played Otto Frank and, and Anne Frank? Yes, yeah. yes. And that was a difficult emotional role for you to play? It was difficult, but it was a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we formed into a family. The cast just formed into a family. We supported each other. We uh, we just, uh, it, it was wonderful. Even the techies, yeah. <laughs> the tech people were yeah. part of the show, you yeah. know, part of the cast, part of the family. And so you've also written seven full-length plays, um, mm-hmm. and this information will be in the show notes, uh, listeners, as to what uh, he's written. But uh, did, did playwriting, has it helped you in your novel writing as well? Well, I, yeah, I think so, but, uh, because... Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of dialogue, you know, right? yeah. The dialogue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've written the, the four novels. Uh, we're going to be talking about Id Paradox today. Uh, but you've written other work as well. Um, all right, well, let's let's do this. On, on the Id Paradox, let's talk about, before we get under the covers, let's talk about the book cover itself. Oh. What, what, since they can't see it here in podcast land, what uh, what are we looking at here? Uh, you know, I, I got a guy from India, I believe he was, uh, to do this. And, you know, I sent him pictures of the Santa Elena Canyon in Big Bend National Park, uh, and you know it's got. Uh, oh yeah, that is that looks like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the Santa Elena Canyon, and uh, you know I had to tell him, oh well, they've been through hell, so you have to make them look like they've been through hell. Yeah, one guy's got no shirt on, trying to build a fire. The other guy's got his torn shirt on, and looks like somebody's fishing. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, uh, trying to survive. You know they've lost everything. They're scared and alone. Nobody they're, is there in uh, June. They're barefooted. Yeah. They're barefooted. Yeah. And one of the characters in the middle is pointing at something on the ground. He is pointing at his shadow, which appears to him as a horrible beast. Mm. It's actually the beast from Forbidden Planet. Mm. Okay. Well, are you ready to get under the covers? I am ready, yes, okay. sir. If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, 
we will give you a free ebook written by me, the first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Okay, Jan, so, so you got three characters here. Their names mm-hmm. are? Jake, Artie, and Connors. And tell us about each one of them. Artie is uh, an immigrant. He actually he came across the river, walked across the river, actually, with his family. That's when you could still do that. And, the you know, the border wasn't that uh, policed mm-hmm. at that time. And Connors, Connors is the big man on campus. He's the popular guy. He's the president of student council. And uh, he gives Jake a hard time because Jake is not a hunter and he he can't kill anything. You know, Connors will throw his 30-06 into his arms and say, he's there, he's yours, shoot him. And Jake just can't. So he takes endless ribbing from uh, from. Connors. So they, these are all friends that are met in high school, but then things, you know, they separate, they go different ways. But then uh, Artie is the one that gets imprisoned. Yeah. Right? He's trying to sneak his uh, uncle's family across the border. Uh, his And his uncle has been pressed into service with the cartel. They are uh, uh, apprised of that effort to get him across the border, and they interfere and they take Artie prisoner. Yeah, and you start off, I was reading in the first part of the book here, you start off and, and they're kind of, he's in a, one of the characters is in a grove and he has to fight or survive. Who are we talking about there and what's he? That is Jake. The one who doesn't want to shoot anything, yeah. doesn't, doesn't want to fight anything and he has to yeah. fight or survive early in the book. Yeah. And he has been uh a lawyer, first of all, he was a public defender, and he had a horrible experience that made him quit that. So he became a teacher. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a recovering trial lawyer. We can talk okay. about that. All right, yeah, sure. <laughs> it wasn't a horrible experience, but, you know, I understand what lawyers go through sometimes. But I didn't go and go end up working on a, uh, a what kind of farm was it? a this? melon farm, a mel- cantaloupe. I, I didn't quit and go work on a melon farm. I just, I just— Quit and came into a podcast. Came yeah. into a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have gone to a melon farm. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so he's there, and uh, during this time, um, Connors has sort of become politically mm. famous or infamous or something, and he's he's running for state office. Yes. And, and there's a character who comes and pulls Artie, I mean, Jake aside early and wants to have him come meet with Connors because there's a secret, right? And the secret is that you know, Artie's disappeared. Artie is actually alive. Yeah, they, they, they both thought he was dead. But they, but he finds out he's alive. And yeah. so, so I assume that what's going to happen is that Jake and Connors are going to get together and try to save Artie. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And so um, somewhere you uh, came up with this idea. Were you walking? Were you driving? Were you uh, – <laughs> thinking one night, uh, how do I put characters in the most perilous position? What was going through your mind? Uh, You know, I think it was on my deck outside my house, which is where I I get most of my inspiration, Mm -hmm. watching the birds at my bird feeders. This is actually a sequel to And Ye Shall Be As Gods, which is 
uh, also has Jake as the protagonist. I, I wrote them together and realized I had actually two novels. It was, uh, you know, 156,000 words. Yeah, well, we're, <laughs> so we're, we're not going to do 150,000 words today, but <laughs> okay. uh, you, you talk about and explore the topic of post-traumatic stress in this yeah, book. I do. Did you have any personal experience with that, any relatives, friends, or did you just, was this something you really wanted to dig into and, and talk about? The latter, actually. I, uh, I did a lot of research um, on it, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I figured it would be an interesting psychological study to go mm-hmm. into. So. Yeah, because part of your book is, you know, of course, they, I don't think there's a spoiler to say they're going to figure out how to get away from somebody, and then yeah. they're going to end up being examined and there'll be the sort of recovery part that's as much a part of the book as trying to escape right actually that's the second half of it yes told told from the point of view of the uh therapist i got you okay the psychiatrist all right right, so we've got a read here that you're going to do where are we in the book can you set this up a little bit this is the point at which the three friends jake hardy and connors have just graduated from high school and they treat themselves to a trip in the Big Bend National Park uh, down the Rio Grande. And uh, it is, you know, West Texas. It's uh, 110 in the shade, and nobody else is out there <laughs> okay. except these three testosterone-poisoned young men. All right, well, t- take it away anytime you're ready. The water's calmed. I could feel a breeze of serenity pass through the three of us. Even Connor's discourse is tempered to a digestible commentaries. Our attention so distracted, no one noticed the murmur in the distance that grew as we approached. It was at first a low, aching moan, barely noticeable beneath Connor's bombast, the natural hum of the river, and the titter and squeak of cliff swallows. Ever so slowly, it managed to shake us to consciousness. But not soon enough. We pulled around a sharp bend, and there the giant roar drowned out all other sound. Man, that sounds scary. I doubt I was even heard beneath a clamor. Pull over, Jake, pull over. Artie was finally pulled out of his rapture. Which side? I screamed at the top of my lungs. Any side, just pull over. I judged the Mexican side was our safest bet and dug backward into the now raging waters to steer us to the scant piece of sand and rock. Connors, however, had not heard Artie's directive over the roar. What the hell are you doing, Jake? In confusion, he pushed off an exposed rock with his paddle to lead us back toward a mass of boulders and whitewater splashing murderously high. No, Connie, Artie screamed just above the thunder of the waters. But our working against each other sent the canoe widthwise into the first series of rapids. I managed to straighten us just enough to avoid our smashing sideways into a sharp-edged piece of cliff. The current, however, sloshed and teetered, spitting and whirling high above our heads with a deafening roar, spinning us fully around and banging us against the myriad underlying and above-surface rocks. There were scream directions as the jostling and pounding of the rapid's bluster concussed like cannons. Desperate and barely heard cries squeaked above the din as we fought to keep from being thrown from our craft. We then shot skyward over another towering fountain we were fortunate enough to hit with the back end of the canoe and so traverse lengthwise. 
The rapids bellowed like a mile-wide tornado, slapping and caterwauling in fury. Artie had grabbed the paddle for me to try steering from the middle, but the current whirled and whipped with such ferocity that trying to direct our craft was now a vague supplication to God. We spun once again a full 360 degrees and then back again, bounding and cascading over rock and whitewater, slamming against debris so forcefully that I wondered how in the world we weren't tossed from our vessel. At the next collision, I was thrown like a weightless piece of styrofoam out and ricocheted off a boulder, a blow I had just enough presence of mind to cushion with my hands and arms. Then I was mercifully tossed back into the canoe. The thundering drone and chaos were now all that could be heard as I fought from the vessel's belly to regain my seat. Thoughts were fleeting, helter-skelter, prayers for deliverance, and moment-to-moment flashes of groping for anchorage. In the midst of despair, we were providentially whirled back again to be slammed into and crudely lodged between a massive boulder on our right and a mostly submerged piece of water-honed scree on our left. The force of the impact sent Connors halfway over the side, and a panicked, Aye! could be heard above the rapids' din. Only Artie's quick hand saved him from incurring on his body the punishment our canoe had suffered. For a considerable time that seemed no more than a moment, the three of us, even Artie, just sat in a state of shock. No word was said. No glance exchanged. We were trembling, hard-breathing statues. After what seemed an eternity, Artie at last came to life. Is everybody all right? He yelled above the blustering howl. As he turned back to me, I exhaled in a monotone. I'm, I'm all right. Connie? Connor slowly turned around, his face the color of the chalky residue at River's Edge. I think I'm ready to go home now. Okay, Jan, I don't think I want to take that canoe ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we got time for some quick uh, riding life questions here. You, um, you've done a lot of writing, novels, plays, children's books. Uh, why do you write? Uh, because it's there, as they say, about, about climbing a mountain. Yeah. You know, I just uh, I have to create. Mm. What do you hope readers get from the Id Paradox? Uh, I want them to get what they get from it and tell me what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's open enough that people can come to their own conclusions about it, and mm-hmm. that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoon-feed them what I think it's about. Now, you grew up close to this country, as you said, and you set this novel uh, right along and across the border and back and forth and everything mm-hmm. uh, it combines these sort of hearing adventures and so forth. What What is writing this book? I know you've written a lot of books and different things, but what is writing this particular book meant to you in your personal journey as a writer? Oh, uh, difficult to say, Landis. I, I, you know, it was a natural step after And Ye Shall Be As Gods. Um, it, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity to write adventure. Mm-hmm which mm-hmm. I hadn't in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, outdoor adventure and uh, harrowing escapes and mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. which was fun. Now, you're uh, an independently published author, um, what they call an indie author, and uh, mm-hmm. do you enjoy being in control of your own destiny in that regard? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love having the final say on everything. Okay. And uh, your recent book, uh, Song for the Forsaken, I think it chronicles the tale of two sisters and the loss of faith uh, between them. Can you just talk briefly about that? Yes. Uh, the older sister uh, actually raised the younger sister, and they are dirt poor Appalachian family. Uh, the parents were just not engaged. The father was an alcoholic, and the mother was lost in a religious world. And uh, Mandy, the older sister, is coming back from having uh, spent the last few months in a hospice uh, with her mother. Mm. And that experience has just destroyed her faith. Mm. Now, your writing process, um, you, you were telling me you were an actor for a while. You also a Spanish interpreter mm -hmm. to, to, help pay, to help pay some of the bills, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But in terms of your writing process, are you a morning, evening, any time of day, anywhere, someplace personal, what? I generally start writing after breakfast and write till about 3 o'clock when my dog starts complaining that she wants to go for a walk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you like to do it sort of before things start happening during yeah. the day, yeah? Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. Well, yeah. the, the joy of being retired is I can do it whenever I want. Do it whenever you want to, yeah. <laughs> uh, and your next book, you're working on something uh, that has sort of a historical tie to your family, but it'll be fictional. You want to tell us briefly about that? Yes, it is a fictional account of my father's family's emigration from Poland in the 19th century. Mm. And uh, it's... Uh, quite a challenge because, uh, you know, history is written about kings and mm -hmm. uh, documents and uh, polities and uh, ideologies and that, not about peasant farmers. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to go there and do some research. Then, right? <laughs> yes. Well, I've been once. <laughs> I've got to go back. All right. Well, listeners, you can find out more about Jan uh, in the show notes. We'll have links, photos, uh, other information about his books and writing. Jan, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, gosh, Landis, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions. You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. <laughs>